Well, welcome everybody, and uh, glad to have you here this weekend. Everybody at Montrose, hello. And everybody watching online, I hope that you're stuck in your driveway and you just didn't stay up too late watching the Browns game. And if you did, then you should have known the outcome before it started. But I don't want to go into all of that, but welcome. And everybody who skipped Saturday night and you're here today, um, <clears throat> I just want you to know that the Lord is displeased with you. Uh, but no, it's fun. And, and uh, thanks, for, thanks for being together. It's fun to be together. And uh, thanks for taking time to give attention to Jesus this weekend. We, um, we're in this series that we started here a couple of weeks ago called Assume I Know Nothing, A Beginner's Guide to Understanding God. And I, um, we started this last weekend, and I said last weekend, like this series is built off of actually a conversation I had with a friend, and I uh, was just talking to them about spiritual things. They were kind of asking questions, and saw right away, like we we're missing each other, you know, kind of that glassed over look in their eye. And I, I asked them, I said, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I was worried about being patronizing or like insulting their intelligence kind of a thing. And they looked at me, totally left me off the hook, it was great, and they looked at me and said, Jeff, just assume I know nothing. Like, don't worry about what I might or may not know, just assume that I know nothing. And if you could explain this God thing from the very, very beginning, uh, and, and its basic elements, that would be helpful to me and something that I, I want you to do. And so that conversation sparked a bit of a journey, and uh, we, we have uh, kind of taken that journey. We took it about eight years ago, and then I looked at where we're at today as like a, a church family and kind of culturally, and we thought this would be a really, really good journey for us to go on again. Uh, there's three types of folks that, that this series clicks the best with. Um, number one, if you are new to your faith in Jesus or if you're trying to figure out if you even wanna have it, uh, this series is for you. By the way, if that's you, you are very normal at Grace Church. So last five years, we had almost 1,000 people begin their relationship and journey at, at Grace Church. So that's a, that's, if, if you're in that category, don't feel weird. Uh, you're very much kind of in the norm. But you might look and say, I actually don't know the Bible that well. I don't know all the things of God. Like I know Jesus loves me. I know that I needed to have forgiveness and salvation. I accepted it and that's kind of where I'm at. And so this series is meant to just kind of help walk you through that. Uh, the second type of person is actually somebody that grew up the way I did. And that's of a, those of us who grew up in the church or grew up in religion. And uh, sometimes I think if you, if you grew up in church or in religion, you actually might be at a disadvantage at times in your relationship with God. I was. Like I knew elements of God, I knew that he was holy, I knew that he was just, I knew about hell, I knew that I needed to have forgiveness of my sin. I didn't learn about Jesus loving me or forgiving me or wanting to interact with me until I was in college. And so I, was, I kinda had to have a bunch of stuff knocked out of my life that I had been taught in order for me to really understand who Jesus was like. So this series will help you in that way if, if you're in that category. And then the third category is those of us who would say, I actually have kind of a developed relationship with God. Uh, what the Bible would say is you're, if you're a Christ follower, every Christ follower should be helping someone else become a Christ follower. The church word for it is discipleship. So you need to have somebody in your life or a few folks in your life, however you wanna do it, that you're like downloading faith into them as well. And this series is built, so if you look to say, I'm willing to do that, but I don't know what to do, 
we're gonna like walk you through this so that you have the what and like some clarity with it so that you can go and, and uh, be obedient to Jesus in that way. So that's why we're doing it. We thought it'd be a great way to set up the year. What we did was we created resources this time around. So we created a book and uh, the QR code on your chairs, it's online if you're watching online. Uh, you can order that book right off of Amazon. They'll just send it right to you. And so you can get that book. That book corresponds with what we're talking about on the weekends. It's not a one-for-one, one, but it helps. We also have there a, uh, a podcast. So instead of doing an audio book, I just am recording the book in a podcast. So if you love listening to me, if you're like, you know, whenever I hear that silky, smooth voice, deep baritone of Jeff Bogue, it just helps me, uh, that, that'll be there and you can, you can sync up with that. And then we took the series that we did eight years ago, which is different than this, uh, quite a bit different, but it'll also help. So we just traded like an ecosystem of resources for you around there. So you can go as deep into this as you wanna go. And what, what I said last week, I, I, I just encourage you, if you'll take this journey, uh, if you'll be like, you know, the New Year's resolution, the one I'm going to keep is I'm going to engage church. And if you take this journey, if you can't be here on a given weekend, uh, online's a great supplement, <clears throat> uh, you'll catch up with it. I promise you that through this journey, you, you will understand Jesus more. At a minimum, you'll understand the Bible more and Christianity more. And that's what it's all designed to do, okay? So it's, it's been fun, and I think we're gonna have a lot more fun going through it. So last weekend... We said, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna go down to the very, very core thing, very myopic, like where do I start the whole thing, what you have to do is you have to start with the person of Jesus. And you have to look at Jesus and you have to make kind of this basic decision. When I understand Jesus, do I see him as a good guy or a great God? Is he a good guy or a great God? And in order to understand him as a great God, what we have to do is we have to accept what Jesus said about himself. Not what the church says, not what Jeff says. We have to accept what Jesus says about himself. So Jesus says, he's like, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not here just to make everybody's life like easier and better and like social justice kind of a thing. That's not the soul of who I am. I'm a great God. All of that truth is woven into the greatness of who I am. But I, I'm, not, I'm not like Dr. King or Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. That, I'm not like that. Wonderful folks, great examples, but that's not me. And they didn't claim to be a great God. They were good people. Jesus says, actually, I'm something different. <clears throat> I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. I am the sole path to salvation. When you interact with me, you are interacting with, my, with, with your heavenly Father, my Father. I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, I am the Chosen One, I am a great God. And so we said in order, to, in order to think about where you start, you have to start there. Because Jesus being a great God is the foundation off of which you would view everything else. If you view him as a good guy, you would view things down this path. If you, if you accept him as a great God, you would view him down this path and it affects everything that, that we would see or think. So if you ask me, if you're like, Jeff, why do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible because of the, of the scientific evidence, of, of the literature evidence, of the archeological evidence, historical evidence? 
I would be like, no, all those things are important and they're, they're validating. That's in the book, by the way. Like, all that stuff's important. That's not why I believe the Bible. <clears throat> why do you believe the Bible? Well, I believe the Bible because Jesus believed the Bible. He quoted the Bible 283 times and he accepted the Bible as truth and he allowed it to, so to say, govern his life. So because I believe Jesus is a great God, I believe what Jesus believes. Why do, you, why do you believe the church, Jeff? Is it because religion can be positive? Uh, because religion does civilize and it does serve? Uh, you just looking at the upside of it, is it that? Is it because you have a very limited skill set and this is the only job you could get, right? So why do you believe in the church? I would look at you and say, well, I believe in the church because Jesus believed in the church. I believe he's a great God. So Jesus created the church. Jesus expresses affection for the church. He says, the church is my family, and then he uses these metaphors. The church is my body. The church is to express me to the people on earth. The church is my bride or my, my place of passion. So why are you passionate about the church? Well, I'm passionate about the church because I believe Jesus is a great God and Jesus was passionate about the church. And why do you run relationships? Why do you try to love your enemy and forgive as you've been forgiven and have compassion and speak truth and grace? And Well, that's what Jesus did. So it's, it's not because he modeled it for me and, and I accept his model. It's because he's a great God and he's like, this is a new commandment I give to you, love one another, right? And a great God spoke a great truth to me that is to govern and to direct my life. So we have to start there. That whole conversation's on the app and online, all that kind of stuff from last weekend. But we said if you were gonna take it to its very, very fundamental root, you would start at that place, okay? So the question then becomes, like, what's step two then? If we're kind of building a, a pathway here. If step one is, do I accept what Jesus says about himself? Step two would have to center around the tension that comes between God and humanity. So I would start to look and say, there's a tension between humanity and God. What is that tension and why did it necessitate Jesus showing up? So why was Jesus born of a virgin? Like why, why did Christmas happen? Why did he teach? Why did he lay his life down and suffer his, his beating and his crucifixion? Why did he take his life back up again, his resurrection? If that's the focal point of it, what necessitated that and what is that tension? Why did we need a savior and need a Messiah and need rescued? What, what is the focal point of that? So what happens is this, is when you look at the Bible, the Bible is a story of God's interaction with humanity and humanity's response to God. If I was giving you a major meta-narrative, that would be the, the Bible. And what you'll see in that is you'll see that that story is rooted in God's love and God's generosity and human nature that leads to the rejection of God's love and the rejection of God's generosity. And then there, you, you start to find the tension, okay? So let me show you this. If we're gonna start at the beginning, let's go to the beginning. So if you have a Bible, Open it to Genesis chapter one. It's the very first page of the Bible. So we'll go right to the beginning. If you wanna use your phone or the app, it's, it's all on there, okay? So go right to the very beginning of the Bible and, and this tension in, in God's heart is, is laid out, okay? So Genesis chapter one, <clears throat> the first few verses of Genesis are about God creating the heavens and the earth and night and day and that whole account and then you get to Genesis chapter one, verse 27. 
And in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, God creates human beings. And this is what the Bible says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And then the Bible goes on and says, God told him, go be fruitful, multiply, have dominion or stewardship over the earth and the animals. Uh, everything, humanity will reign over all those things. So God creates, <clears throat> he creates human beings and he gives them blessing. He gives them fruitful, multiply, have dominion, I'm providing for you. Now, the Bible giving that account says something very, very important about human, how human beings were created. So the Bible says God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So let's talk about this for a second because <clears throat> it's really important. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Because human beings are the only part of nature that's created in the image of God. So what that means is this. We are created in the image of God in that we have souls and we would, we would today in our vernacular, we would say we are spiritually minded and we are the only part of creation that longs to understand its creator and thinks about life after death. We're the only part of nature that does that. Like squirrels are cute, right? If they're not in your house, if they're in your house, they, they gotta go, right? So they're cute, but squirrels do not long to know their creator and they don't think about life after death. I love my dog too. I love Chief. He was the best dog in the history of dogs. He, he was awesome. Chief never asked me to take him to church. He never sat down with me and was like, explain Jesus. You know, like never, never once did that, did that happen because he's not, that, he doesn't, he's not created in the image of God. So he doesn't think about life after death. He doesn't, he never prayed, he never worshiped, right? Squirrels are cute, dogs are great, cats, devil. See how it works? It's right, I'll show you later in the Bible, right? So that's the thing. So only human beings do that. Only human beings think about life after death. Only human beings think spiritually. Only, only human beings are drawn to worship. And only human beings, because we're created in the image of God, so we're unique among creation, okay? That's an important thing to, to remember, okay? Now, God creates, he creates in his image, and then what God does is he takes humanity and he takes them and puts them in a place of perfection. And so you see this in Genesis chapter two. So starting with verse eight, God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up around the garden, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit in the middle of the garden. He placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God creates a place of perfection. Eden is a foreshadowing of heaven. And in that place of perfection, all the needs of humanity are met. He plants the trees, they're all good and they're all full of fruit. In the middle of that garden then, he plants two trees. One is a tree of life and one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this is a key point in it. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then 
God looks at Adam and Eve and says, listen, of those two trees, you must not eat of the one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God places humanity in the garden, He puts two trees in the garden, one is the tree of life, that they're free, they're free to eat of everything, including the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he says, whatever you do, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Now I want us to see a couple things as we've, as we've gone so far. See a couple things about God. Here's the first thing I want you to know that God is doing. God created human beings to bless us. He created human beings to bless us. God is not out to get you. He would have got you by now. He's out to bless you and to give you prosperity. And when we say blessing and prosperity here at Grace Church, we mean true blessing and true prosperity. I'm not talking about you getting a Lamborghini and you getting a private jet and your hair growing back because that's, that's not happening without some kind of medical intervention. I'm sorry, man. Like, not at all, right? So, like, so that, that's not gonna happen, okay? We're talking about the blessing of soul, the blessing of relationship, and the prosperity or the abundant life that, that Jesus talks about later on in the New Testament. So we have to see that God created human beings to bless us. Well, how do you know that? Well, he created us in his image, so God created us so that we could interact with him, so that we could know him, so that we could receive love from him and return love to him. And he demonstrates that desire for blessing by placing humanity in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve never worried about food, they never worried about not eating, and they never worried about gaining weight. Everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. They had perfect security. In the Garden of Eden, they were never in danger. They were never anxious. They were never depressed. They were never lonely. They never felt insecure. It was perfect. They weren't even in, they had no body insecurity. The Bible says Adam and Eve were both naked, but they were not ashamed. So they're in this perfect environment. They had a perfect relationship with each other. Adam and Eve were created as the first marriage and they were the only perfect marriage on the planet. So they had, there was never a jealousy, there was never an insecurity. There never was a, well, what's that supposed to mean? Like that never happened with Adam and Eve, right? Because they had a perfect relationship with each other and, ready? They had a perfect relationship with God. So the Bible says that God would come down and he would hang out with Adam and Eve in the morning and he would hang out with Adam and Eve in the evening. And they were in this perfect existence that's a foreshadowing of heaven, which they were interacting, no tears were shed, no needs went unmet, no longings were unfulfilled. Perfect relationship and perfect relationship with each other and with God. So I want you to see that when God created humanity, he created us to bless us, and this is the other important thing to see. When God created humanity, he created humanity with the freedom of choice. Freedom of choice, right? So there's this age-old question, and the age-old question is this, why did God plant two trees? Why did God plant two trees? Like if God wants to be in perfect relationship with us, why did he make a option that would remove us from perfect relationship with him, and then say, don't take that option? Why did he plant two trees? Great question. Here's why. Because God wants our relationship with him to be built off of love. You see this later on in the Bible when somebody's talking to Jesus, our great God. And a guy comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what does God want? 
Like, what does he want? Tell me what he wants. And Jesus looked at him, and instead of giving him an answer based on a rule, he gave him an answer based on a relationship. And he said, what God wants is he wants you to love him with, his heart, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he wants you to love each other as you would yourself the way that he loves other people. Give him a relational answer, not a rules answer. So when God looked at humanity and said, I'm gonna do something unique for you, I'm gonna create you in my image so that you can interact with me the way that I interact with my son, with the Holy Spirit and the Father, the way that we interact with each other. I'm gonna create you spiritually. I'm gonna create you eternal. You're gonna live forever like we live forever. And so I'm gonna do all of that but that relationship's gonna be based off of love, not off of threat, and not off of obligation. Now here's the thing, ready? Why is there two trees? Because in order to have love, you must have choice. Love cannot be demanded. I cannot look at you and say, you have to love me, you must love me. I cannot do that. Love cannot be demanded. Obedience can be demanded, you better obey me. Uh, conformity can be demanded, you better walk and talk the way I tell you to walk and talk. So that can be demanded, but love cannot be demanded. Love has to be given, which means I have to have choice. I can only love you if I can choose not to love you, right? Uh, I was on the phone the other day with the IRS. I got a letter from the IRS. And the IRS is like, you didn't pay your taxes. I'm like, what? And it's like, if you don't pay your taxes, we're gonna arrest you, we're gonna put the kids on eBay. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna nail you. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Heidi's like, you didn't pay your taxes. I'm like, I thought I paid our taxes. And so we're going on and on. And so I, I finally, I called the IRS because that's the only way to really interact with them. So that took about three hours. And, and I finally got a person on the, on the phone with the IRS. And I was like, what is the deal? All it says I didn't pay my taxes. She's like, oh yeah. She's like, you owe $123. I'm really, really all of this over $123. Okay. And so I said, well, I thought I paid all my taxes. Because if you own a business like we do, you know that you pay your taxes quarterly is what we have to do. And so like, I have to send my tax money in. And so like, we're trying to figure all this out. I got the kindest, most helpful person uh, at the IRS. She was amazing. I just call her Mary. Like she, Mary was like amazing. She, she was incredible. And she stayed on the phone with me for 45 minutes and come to find out I did pay my taxes. It just got applied to the wrong thing. And so Mary is talking to me. We're kind of laughing a little bit. She's like, oh, this isn't a big deal. Dr. Bogue, we'll figure this out. And I'll just move this here and do that and that'll make it good. She was an unbelievably kind lady that was helping me. So we were kind of joking around, playing, because you're just on hold, you know, and like while she's typing away. So we get to the end of this call and uh, she goes, well, that's all we have, Dr. Bo. She goes, is there, is there another way that I can help you? I, I said, no, I think I'm good. I said, Mary, can I just say, you've been wonderful. Like, thank you. I said, I bet you have mostly terrible interactions because nobody wants to call the IRS. And, and I was like, just thank you for being kind and you were so helpful and you saw the problem all the way through. You really helped me. And, and I said, I, I'm just really grateful for you. I, I just hope you have a wonderful day. And she's like, oh, that's really kind of you. She said, we try to serve all of our customers that way. And I paused and, and I, I laughed a little bit and I go, Mary, I said, I really appreciate that. I go, but Mary, I'm not your customer. And she goes, what do you mean? And I was like, I, I'm not your customer. She goes, well, why do you say that? I'm like, 
I'm a customer at like Walmart or Target or Target. Uh, like I, I'm a customer there. I said, but I'm not your customer because if I don't buy your product, you put me in prison. <laughs> I am not your customer. I'm your servant. I'm your peon. I don't know what I am, but I am not your customer. Well, the government tries, tries to help. Yeah, that's what they always say. Like, no, nobody actually believes that. And, I, and so we, were, we got to laughing about it. But see the difference? I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. So a, a customer is somebody I choose to engage. Like, I choose to go to Walmart. I choose, if I'm buying fancy stuff, I go to Target, right? That's the way it works. I don't have a choice because they demand compliance. And in a $20 trillion budget, my $123 better show up. See how it works? So why is there two trees? Because God's looking at us and he's like, that's not the relationship. That's not the relationship. I created you to bless you. I created you to love you. I, in fact, I created you uniquely because the squirrels don't get it. I created you uniquely so that you could understand that because I want to give to you and I want to express my love to you and all I really want in return is for you to recognize and to love me in the same way. So there has to be two trees because there has to be a choice. And God looked at Adam and Eve and said, all of this, at 99%, absolutely yours. Anything you want. But not that one. Not that one. Because I want you to respond to my goodness and my love. I don't want you to, I don't want the Garden of Eden to be a prison. I want it to be a place that you feel and experience my blessing. So in the middle, there's gotta be a choice. Right? Now, what happens from there, as the Bible moves on, it is, is really, really fascinating and gets to the, to the tension. So God looks at Adam and Eve and he says, listen, I wanna give you life. That tree of life, eat all that, all you want. Put it in a blender, mix it up, throw in, you know, like enjoy that all you want. I came, and then later on, Jesus says, I came to give you life. So God looks at us, and he's like, I wanna give you life. Why don't we experience life and all the things that produce life within us? Well, because of what happened all the way back in the garden. So you go to Genesis chapter one, you see that we're created. Genesis chapter two, you see that we were meant to be blessed and we, what we were given a free will. And in Genesis chapter three, you see that free will exercise for the first time. So in Genesis chapter three, this is the account that the Bible gives us of it. Satan said to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent said, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So imagine this image in your mind, Eve is standing in the middle of the garden in front of her is two trees. One tree is a tree that is life-giving. It's a tree of life. 
everything you need, everything you desire, everything you long for in humanity is given through that tree. The other tree is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat of this tree, what happens is this. Not only will you experience the effects of evil, but you will also experience the absence of goodness in your life. This tree leads to a foreshadowing of heaven, and this tree leads to a foreshadowing of hell. And hell, which is a place of separation, is a place of judgment, and it's a place that is devoid of the mercy, the grace, and the goodness of God. So you can go down that path, you're gonna experience evil and the ramifications of it, and you're also going to experience a life devoid of God's goodness, and Eve and Adam had never experienced either one of those things because they always chose life. Well, now they're standing in front of two trees. And Satan enters the picture, and what he does is he starts to tempt Eve, and then Adam as well, and he lays out this temptation, and he starts to question things about God. I just want us to see this real quick, because I think it's important. Satan looks at Eve, and he says this, did God really say? Did God really say? And what he's doing is he's questioning God's word. Eve, you don't... You actually trust that that's what God really said? Well, that's what he's always said to me. But did, did he really say that? Do you, you're gonna trust his word? I don't know if you should trust his word. And then Satan went on through the account and he said this, you will not surely die. And what he's doing is he's questioning God's character. You gonna die, Eve, because you touched a pomegranate? That's gonna kill you. I mean, is God so holy and so righteous? Because Eve, so far, he's given you everything that you want. He's never said no to you. And you're saying that he's so holy and so righteous that if you touch it, you will surely die. And he calls into question God's character. And then the third thing he says is this, you will be like God. And what he's doing is he's questioning God's goodness. You, if you eat that, Eve, what will happen is you'll be like God. You know what that means, Eve? That means God's hiding something. All this goodness, all these trees, all these needs met, what is God not giving you? Why, why would he not want you to? Why would God forbid something? If he's a loving God who wants to bless you, why would he say no? Are you sure he's as good as you think that he is? And Satan looks at Eve and Adam too, because Adam was right there along for the party. And he calls in the question God's word and he calls in the question God's character and he calls in the question God's goodness and it brings temptation as Adam and Eve are left with a choice that was given to them by God of whether they're gonna trust the things that bring life to them or they're going to, the Bible uses this phrase, or if they're going to lean into their own understanding. I'm gonna trust the things that make the most sense to me. And what you see is you see Adam and Eve succumb to that temptation, and when they succumb to that temptation, for the first time in human history, someone chose to trust themselves instead of trusting God. And when they trusted themselves instead of trusting God, 
exactly what God said would happen, happened. They started to go down a path that seemed right to them, but in the end, it led to spiritual death. And humanity fell away from this place of blessing and perfection that we actually were created to be in. See? And the tension, what the Bible, Bible uses this word enmity, the tension the enmity between God and man is introduced. And that tension is what we live in today and that is the very tension that Jesus came to rescue us from, to free us from, and to take us away from. So here's, here's what happens. This is what happens in our life. Every morning when you wake up and you stand up, what you're doing every morning is you're staring at two trees. And as human beings, every morning we're staring at two trees, and one tree leads to life. It leads to life in a way that we would not naturally understand. If I wanna gain my life, I have to lose it. If I wanna be rich, I should give away generously. If I wanna be first, I should be willing to be last. It leads to life, but in a way that God understands, but we don't understand, and so we have to trust God's word, his character, and his goodness in order to embrace that life. And the other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that's a path that we understand. When I lean into my own understanding, that makes sense to me. I heard a guy say recently, he said, we would rather live in misery than explore mystery. We'd rather live in misery than explore mystery. He couldn't remember who said that quote, so I'm gonna say Jeff Bogue did. So we, we, would, we would rather live in mystery than explore misery. That's leaning to my own understanding. I don't really like my life, I don't really want my life, I'm not really happy, I'm full of anxiety and depression and, and, and facade, but it, I know how to manage it, I think. And every morning when we wake up, we're standing and we're looking at two trees. And one tree is the voice of God saying, I'm calling you, I love you, I want you, I want you to be with me and follow me. I want to bless you in all the meaningful ways. And the other tree is the voice of the evil one saying, do you really trust his word? Do you really trust his character? Do you really trust his goodness? And because God loves us and wants to be loved by us, he leaves us with a choice. And every morning when I wake up, I'm deciding, am I following a path of life or if I'm following a path that in the end will lead to my spiritual death? And if you thought about a relationship with God, it boils down to something as simple as that. I'm looking at two trees. One gives me life and life to the fullest. One gives me spiritual death and it will only end that way. Now, here's what's hilarious. When I boil it down that simple, it sounds like an absolute no-brainer, doesn't it? Would you rather lose your soul or walk in the blessings that God has for you? Like, it's almost a dumb question. Ready? So why is it so difficult to make? Why is it so difficult to make? If everything in our interaction with God boils down to our ability and our willingness to trust God, then why is it so hard to do that? I think one of the big reasons is this. I wrote it down in my notes this way. The reason that it's incredibly difficult to trust God 
is because it's incredibly difficult to trust God when the people who were supposed to explain to you and help God make sense to you misrepresent him to you. And the reason why it's so difficult to trust God is, is not always because God is untrustworthy or because what God wants to give us is negative and what we can achieve on our own is positive. The reason it's difficult to trust God is because God put people into our lives and those people in our lives were supposed to help him make sense to us. But instead of helping him make sense to us, they, they distorted who God is and what he's like. And when that happens, it breaks our trust mechanism. So if you grew up in such a way that you were abandoned and people walked out on you and Pastor Jeff stands up and he says, guys, really, all you gotta do is trust God and you just trust your heavenly father. You might look at me and say, I got you and the minute you said father, I'm out. Because the one thing I know to do in my life is not to trust my dad. I don't know where he is. I don't even know who he is. I'm not trusting that. And it's not because the choice is confusing. It's because to take an act of trust feels overwhelming because my trust mechanism is broken. If you, if you grew up in Anger Alley and everything was an explosion and everything was an overreaction and you just learned to keep secrets and say nothing because you never knew what you were walking into. If you grew up in Anger Alley, then when you hear things about God like God disciplines those that he loves for their benefit, just trust that. You would look to say, I got any, anything tied to discipline has pain, has vengeance, has anger has violence attached to it and you're telling me God's like that? I'm super out. If you grew up with passive parents or leaders, I told my mom, I told her what I was going through, I told my teacher, I told my coach, I told my pastor, nobody did anything about anything. And all of those people are put in your life by God to help you understand him. You're gonna look and say, yeah, I, so God exists. He doesn't care about me. Nobody cares about me. Why didn't he intervene? If he's all powerful, if he's, the Bible word is sovereign, why didn't he show up in my life? See? And when those elements of trust have been broken. Marriage, marriage is supposed to be God's reflection of his love for the church and the church's reflection of our love for God. That all is fine and good until you've been betrayed, cheated on, walked out on, lied to, found out about the double life. Well, when I've been betrayed, the whole idea of like, I, de I depend on God for something I don't understand, I, I would rather lean into my own understanding because I did that once. See how it works? And when you look through these broken relationships, when you've been hurt by the people who claim to be the people of God and they used you and they took your money and they used up your life and they took advantage of your good graces and you found out they were just serving themselves, they weren't serving a higher cause. And now I'm supposed to trust the bride of Christ? See? When, when, when you've been subject to bad teaching, 
and you know all about God's wrath, and you know all about God's holiness, and you know all about your sin, and you know all about how unworthy you are, and you know how, all about how you're just a wretched, wicked sinner who's desperate. You know that whole part, but you know nothing about the love and the holiness and the grace of God, because nobody ever told you. How are you supposed to put that together? And then somebody looks at you and says, just trust God. You're like, you gotta be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. So it boils down to this, but this is hard. This, is, this has been confused. This has been abused. And to come back to that again feels absolutely overwhelming. And then you've got the evil one chirping at your heart saying, see, Bible didn't work for you there. See, God wasn't faithful to you there. See, that he's not nearly as good as you think he is. And everything in your life, then you interpret from that place. I heard someone say once, when you're thinking about faith, don't look at the followers, look at the founders. And when you go back to the founder, see how it works? I'm going back to is he a good guy or is he a great God? And when I start, when the very first trust decision I make is I choose to believe. The Bible, when it talks about trust, usually uses the word faith. I choose to place my faith in who Jesus says he is. And that first step of faith is scary and can be overwhelming and it draws us because it's also so inviting because I know a lot about the knowledge of good and evil and what I crave is life. And when I put my faith, my trust in the person of Jesus Christ, what I start doing is I start looking for the things that Jesus trusted and the people that he trusted. And one of the people that he trusted was his father. And what he said about his love for us, what he said about his intention for us, why he created us in such a way that we can even have this conversation. I'm not having this conversation with a tree. I'm not having this conversation with the hamster. Only human beings can have this conversation. And I put my faith in Jesus who trusted and loved the Father. And the Father created me, Jesus created me so that I could know and so that I could be blessed by him. That's why the Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from above. Every good thing, every good thing. The breakfast you had this morning, the coffee you drank on the way here, the fact that we're sitting inside and not outside. Every good thing, your home, your dreams, your friendships, your happiness, the moments of joy that you have, every good thing, the provision of God, every good thing, everything in that garden is from God. God knowing that this trust decision is so difficult and feels overwhelming, 
What he does for us is the same thing that he did with Adam and Eve. He overwhelmed them with his goodness and his love. So he overwhelms us with his goodness and love. Every good thing comes from him. And then the ultimate quote unquote good thing that comes from him is his son Jesus who came to alleviate that tension so we could be restored back to the relationship with God we were created to be in. So the best thing, the most good thing that God gives us is his son. And when you start reading the Bible, you start to see it because it's everywhere. John 3, 16 and 17. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everybody who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. 1 John chapter 3. See how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. John 15. I have loved you even as the father loved me remain in my love first john chapter 4 but anyone who does not love does not know god for god is love god showed how much he loved us by sending us as one and only son into the world that we may have eternal life through him this is real love not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins and we could literally sit here for the next several hours and i could read you passage after passage after passage after passage and god looks and says i understand you get up every day you're looking at two trees i created you to look at two trees i know that one's chirping at you don't trust his word, don't trust his character, don't trust his goodness. But this one is inviting and crying out to you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And I overwhelm you. My love is undeniable. The offering of my son is the full extent of my love. Jesus' willingness to come, live, teach, die, raise again is all my love. And in all of these broken concepts, in all of these painful places, way before I ask you to understand the Bible, way before I ask you to understand the church, way before I ask you to understand the mysteries of theology and doctrine, if, if you could just trust my love. I'm not out to get you. I would have got you. I created you to bless you. I created you to journey with me. You're the only thing that I created that way. And if you trust, if you by faith could receive my love, It becomes the foundation, becomes the, the crux of the matter. Okay? And it will move your life in a, in a different and a powerful direction that gives life. Okay? But I give you choice. I give you choice. Guys, I think about how hard that choice can be. But I also think about how powerful and life-giving it is. Heidi and I accidentally got each other the same thing for Christmas. Uh, so we, we both decided to get our uh, VHS tapes digitized. 
Uh, if you're younger, a VHS was a plastic thing <laughs> that you would put into I me. Mean, you don't even have these things, but you know, us old people did. And I have, you know, I'm the baby of my family. My siblings are significantly older and less talented um, than me. But so I'm so old that like my, if my parents were alive, they'd be in their, their 90s. So I'm so old that my parents had what was called eight millimeter, like real, real silent movies was what they had, but they could take it at home. And so years ago, my old sister uh, took those old films and put them on VHS and then we, everybody got rid of their, deep, their you know, cam, their, uh, what are they called, video cassette players. And, and so we haven't even watched it forever, so we got them digitized. So we spent a lot of Christmas watching, you know, these old movies. And I've said many times and told the story many times that my parents, my brother was killed when he was eight years old by a drunk driver. And I'm actually the replacement baby uh, for my brother. So... We're watching these things, and the only images I have of my brother are on film. And so we're watching that, and uh, you watch like my, my siblings be born, and then you see Doug, was my brother's name, and you see him and what he, kind of his personality a little bit. And the film's going through, so you see up to uh, uh, 1967, 68, and then the year will change to 1969, and you see a family of three, and then you see it shift, or a family of five, and then you see it shift to a family of four. And it was very striking as we were watching it, because my brother was killed in December, and so you, you have Christmas 1968, my brother was killed in December of 67, and you see Christmas in 1968, and you see that, that change, you see him absent. And then you do the math and you realize that that video taken in 1968 was taken about three weeks after my brother was killed. And the family's trying to celebrate Christmas. And so I just got to thinking about that. And thinking about my mom and dad. My mom said that they'd only been Christians for six months when my brother was killed. So the most devastating thing that can happen to a human being happened to them and they're brand new in their faith. They don't understand the Bible. They went to church because their friends did. They didn't have that down. No theology doctrine, nothing like that. Just people trying to, to get by with life, right? I got to thinking about them, and I got to thinking about they're brand new in their faith, like many of us are. And they experience this horrible tragedy like many of us have. And I thought, they got up the morning after my brother's funeral staring at two trees. And one made a whole lot of sense. You really trust God's word? He's faithful, he ju he's just. Your eight year old just died. He's loving. You really trust God's character? Really? All, all my brother had to do was be looking forward instead of sideways when they got hit and he'd be fine. God can't turn his head, really? You trust God's goodness? Any part of this feel good to you? It made a lot of sense. 
And every day, mom and dad had to get up and look at two trees and they had to decide, do I lean into my own understanding? Because my own, my own understanding is pretty solid right now. Or do I believe a mystery given to me by a God that tells me that I'll eventually have life. They had to do what Adam and Eve had to do and they had to do what you and I have to do. It's all the same thing. And it's not how good of a Christian you are, how religious you are, how moral you are. It's just what tree you choose. Because walking with God will always come down to faith. It will always come down to trust. It's inescapable. And the evil one's always gonna be chirping. And let's be honest, sometimes he makes a lot of sense in my own understanding. But a loving God always, always, always invites us to life. And he created us. He created us to long for that, to want for it, and to receive it. But there's always two trees. Jesus, would you help us with this? It's a a lot, God. It's simple, but it's it's a lot. Some of the hardest decisions we ever make are to follow you. Some of the hardest decisions we ever make are to, are to allow questions to linger. When you don't make sense, when we can't grasp it, to trust in your goodness and your word and your character, it's an incredibly difficult. When we're asking questions about why our life went the way that it did instead of the way we wanted it to. So Jesus, your answer to that is to overwhelm us with love and to draw us close in. Because God, there's a Satan chirping in a tree, but there's you standing beside us in the middle of that garden, assuring us that you value us, that you see us, that you know us, and inviting us to turn to you. So God, in these still moments, would you meet us at that place, whether it's to draw us to salvation or just to draw us home, or maybe just to reassure us that in the circumstances we're facing today, you have not forgotten, you have not lied, you have not laid down, you are not passive you want to lead us, God, that these things will work together for the good of those who are called to your purpose. So God, gift us faith. And God, when it's hard to believe or understand, help us to know that you are close and present.